the weekend variety wireless with Dock Edge Festival. For details, visit dockedge.nz. everybody welcome along to podcast our three for sunday and the radio station a special hello if you're listening live a special bonus if you're listening live later on after the interview coming up with the director of whispering power to truth cracking documentary uh, we'll be giving away a double ticket why don't we do two to the documentary edge festival it's the auckland season previously done the rounds in Wellington. I found this yesterday. I knew I had it somewhere and now the lounge is a mess because it was on a compact disc somewhere. The last mention of anything royal, but it's great. It's really good. Uh, John Clark. God, we miss him, don't we? John Clark and Brian Dore, one of those interview things. And it is coming to do with royal marriage stuff. Here he is. John Clark as Prince Charles, but he doesn't really do the voice. Actually, this is as close as John Clark dares to do anybody's voice, actually. John Clark, Brian Dore from many years ago. Your Royal Highness, thank you very much for coming in tonight. It's a great pleasure and... Um, May I call you Pinch Charles? I think Your Highness is the appropriate form of address. Sure. Um, right. What do you do? Uh, I'm the person who will be interviewing you. Oh, that's very interesting. How long have you been doing that? Interviewing people? Yes. A uh, number of years. Quite a long mm. time. And these other people, what do they all do? Uh, they're all the, they're the camera crew, Your Highness. Ah, that's yeah. interesting. And how yes. long have they been doing that? Um, look, Your Highness, I wonder if I could ask you, do you enjoy coming to Australia? I love coming to Australia. I've always loved coming here. I've been you here many, many, many here, times. I you? went to school yeah, here, down yeah. in... Um, Geelong. Uh, down in Geelong. Uh, I yeah. did enjoy it because we went up into the hills to a place called... Um, Timbertop. Timbertop. Yes, Timbertop. Timbertop. Many mm. happy days, marvellous days, because there was a connection between that place and, uh, and the school that I'd been to down, yes, down in um, Geelong, somewhere. Geelong, Geelong. Geelong. Yeah. It, it rings a bell. Yeah. I know Geelong quite well. Because you went to school went to there. School there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. in, um, down in Geelong. Geelong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Marvelous yeah. days. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful memories days mm. of Geelong. Mm. You've announced you're getting married again. I have, indeed, I have. Yes. yes. And, and what's been the reaction to that decision? Well, happily, she's accepted me, so we're over the first hurdle. And no, I meant more generally, well. Your Highness. Uh, oh, I think broadly there's been understanding and support. I think uh, one's right to one's happiness mm. is broadly accepted by um, one's broader community. Mm. What about your mother? Ah, now, there has been a very slight difficulty there. She isn't coming to the wedding, is she? She's not, no. And in fact, to be honest, she wasn't mad keen on my first uh, wife experiment in this general area. Have you ever read Freud? Freud. Austrian chap? Big yeah, Freud. Freud, yeah. yeah. He's mm. excellent on this whole sort of mother-wife mother racket. I mean, he, he's, mm. it turns out to be rather a can of worms. Would, would, would that I had known. Had, if I hadn't known now the things that I'd failed to understand, if I, no, if I'd, if I'd not known, known uh, I'd be really a great deal wiser, I think. Yes. Your um, Royal Highness... Um, good evening. How do you do? 
Okay. <laughs> Good. How are you? Nice to see you. Good yes. to be here. Yes, terrific. And how long have you been doing that? Um, uh, will you be king? At some well, I'd very much like to be king. Because yes, uh, you've trained for it. I have. I can stand still for hours. Mm. Um, it's difficult being royal, though, isn't well, it? Well, of course, I mean, I've known little else. I've mm. known very little. Very difficult for me to compare. Mm. 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 Well, look, all the very best, Your Highness. Oh, good evening. And you are? Uh, I'm, I'm Brian. Brian. And what do you do? Uh, I just interviewed you. And how long have you been doing that? For about two and a half minutes. That's very interesting. And what's your name? Brian. Yeah, and what do you do? The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. New Zealand's premier documentary film festival. By way of a little taster, and it won't be the only one, uh, here's a little from a must-see, I think, at the Documentary Edge Festival, Whispering Truth to Power, the subject of the documentary. An amazing woman, Tuli Meronsela, world famous in South Africa, should be worldwide, I think, as well. She's known as the public protector. Never and never again shall it be that this beautiful land will again experience the oppression of one by another. this office with lots of feelings. There's been allegations of nepotism, corruption, irregular issuing of tenders. The streets are awash with human waste. What she saw in Bram Fisherville angered her. We likened our work to the Makatsi, that is the vendor aunt. She listens carefully what the people are saying about what the king is doing wrong and gives feedback to the king quietly. They're saying the hospital was built as a 24-hour service, but it didn't open as a 24-hour service, so we'll have to find out why. People who knew me knew that I always had a quiet demeanor and generally understood to be a kind person, but they also knew that I was a femme person. A determined Madonsela said she would not be dictated to. I still think that I should be allowed to decide what to reject and what to take. I hold a firm view of that one. I remember specifically presenting the metaphor of an umbrella, uh, that people should feel that this is an umbrella where they can find comfort and a refuge. And our reason must care about corruption anyway in the country because it erodes democracy. It also takes away the resources that are available to advance development and derails efforts to improve the quality of life of everyone. This is an amazing story about an amazing woman. Some audio there from Whispering Truth to Power out of South Africa. Um, this is an amazing person, Tuli Maronsela. And the director we're really lucky to have on the phone from South Africa uh, we're speaking with Shamila Sidat. Shamila, first of all, uh, congratulations. It's, uh, it's quite a thing. Thank you so much. And hello to all you listeners. And thank you for having me on your show. This is a documentary outlining corruption and one very steely, cool customer who's taking it on. Let's get people a little bit in the picture about Tuli Maronsela, her background, first of all. Um, Tuli 
Mandela is now one of South Africa's most popular and famous uh, public servants. So from relative obscurity, she became really well known in South Africa and became a game changer for public accountability. So Julie Marancella was the country's uh, public protector. And the public protector is a position in South Africa akin to an anti-corruption body, the official anti-corruption body and, um, or the ombuds. Um, and she served for a seven-year seven year term. She was a lawyer. Nobody knew much about her. She, all the political parties in Parliament vouched for her, and she became the public protector. Then, over a matter of a few years, she showed great resolve and dedication in the job. Her motto was, no case small enough, no case big enough. So she did many cases over her seven years term, but the two that stood out that would propel her on the local and international map both happened to be against the country's president, the most powerful person in the land. And despite various setbacks, intimidation, threats, humiliation at the hands of parliament, she fought back and held him to account. And the president's departure or early resignation as president is inextricably linked to Limadoncela's actions. Yeah, it's quite a performance. Um, I just want to address why, why this crying bloody shame of the levels of corruption in South Africa. It must hobble the country from uh, improving the lot of anybody in it. Why so much corruption? Um, that's a, a, I mean, a, a huge question. Um, I mean, the country's problems, corruption is one of the major problems and challenges. Of course, there are many others. There are huge inequality stemming from the apartheid past, uh, which left with very sort of exclu exclusionary economic and social space. Um, there's also great levels of unemployment. So corruption, as you know, it's, and you can see this in clear instances in the film, it takes away resources from poorer people mostly, and the poor um, bear disproportionately the brunt of corruption. But, you know, some would argue that inequality is also a reason why corruption happens. And if you look at our transition in South Africa, you would see that we, you know, we had a political transition and negotiated settlement in 1994. A lot of new faces came in. The old system stayed in place. Uh, the apartheid system was, was riddled with both moral corruption but also economic corruption, which is also coming to light, you know, more clearly today. So historically, there is a system in place. 1994 comes, we have a big change, new people are put in place, patronage systems develop because some people are left outside, some people are inside the system, and these are reasons why corruption continues. So it is something that stems from our history. We've had corrupt practices pre-1994 during the apartheid times. After that, we've had a dreadful arms deal which opens up all kinds of um, you know, corrupt practices. So it is something, is something in the system. Further than that, you know, we have an issue around holding people to account with consequences. So a lot of people feel that they won't face proper consequences if that's happened. This is also a story really about ac accountability. So part of it is also to contradict stereotypes that 
part of my reason for making this film is also to contradict stereotypes that corruption happens unabated and without consequences in South Africa. As you can see from the story, here is Tudi Madansela, a very strong person, a strong woman at the helm of an institution that has real teeth that she takes to court to prove that it has real teeth to fight corruption and extract accountability. So a very long answer, but um, I hope that... Um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, people still have faith in the ANC that they are going to deliver, but it is the ANC which has presided over this criminal waste and has been party to it, hasn't it? And yet they're still... Are they really still the only show in town? Mm, that's changing quite a lot, if you'll see from our last few, uh, last elections. Um, and you also see from the, in the documentary the new political players. One is a party called the Economic Freedom Fighters, which is the, the, an opposition party and the third largest party in South Africa. It's, it's a relatively small party. You'll see that Julie Madonsela's daughter, Wendy, is a member of the Economic Freedom Fighters, but it mostly represents the interests. It's, it's mostly a youth party. And here it is a counter to the ANC and has campaigned largely against Zuma and allegations of corruption around him and state capture. But it also is looking for deeper redress for mostly black South Africans than what has currently um, be, taken place in South Africa. Uh, having said that, I mean, the ANC is still the biggest player. It's taken a big knock because of scandal played Zuma presidency primarily. Zuma resigned early. There is a new uh, president in place, Saul Ramaphosa, but it is early stages. You know, some, you know, he, he still has, he would still have to prove himself not only in terms of um, getting rid of some of the uh, people who are, you know, who have corruption allegations around them that continued in cabinet after Zuma left, but he would also have to prove that he can uh, lead South Africa into sort of a country that's more equal and fairer for more people. So he definitely does face challenges. So they're definitely, you're absolutely correct to point out that the ANC, because of the Zuma scandals primarily, also because of Tuli Martinsella's report, has had to do a whole lot of internal reckoning. They themselves are highly concerned about the electoral losses that they are suffering because of these corruption scandals. The next elections takes place in 2019. So of course they are on an offensive to show that they are dealing with uh, corruption and state capture, but there has been a lot of damage in the last few years in the eyes of many South Africans about whether this is the party that can decisively deal with this and take further steps in the long run. So it will be an interesting election uh, in 2019. What makes someone like me scream when I watch this documentary is probably because New Zealand is one of the least corrupt nations on the earth there will be a little bit here and there but it's the gross bare-faced corruption not even trying to hide it just vile expenditure and shows of wealth right next in sight of poverty it's like they don't even care if it's obviously corruption yeah, it's, a, it's difficult, you know, to, I mean, we've got a great deal of sort of 
you know problems that have that date as i mentioned before they they date back to the the apartheid days and the 1994 transition um you know there's been a lot of unaccountability in the, the past so there is a feeling that is really coming up now, especially in the year that we've made the film in 2016. It was a very tumultuous year in our politics. Mm. You could see in the film student un- unrest, people calling for deeper institutional change, people pointing out that there are huge inequalities in society, both socially, both economically. They want more changes in the way life looks, the way e- the economy looks in South Africa. Uh, they're huge, and they're huge problems about race, and they play out a lot between, you know, in, in terms of race, in terms of uh, the bulk of white people still having privileges from the past, and black people having, um, you know, not seeing the fruits and not having the material benefits that were promised in 1994. So within this mix, it's a difficult society to point fingers at, uh, and that is something that the film is trying to deal with because um, the one of the issues that the film sort of looks at is, of course, we can all agree that corruption is bad, as Tuli Madonsela does. It takes away resources from the poor. But in a country like South Africa that's still grappling with with the burdens of the past where inequality is so extreme, what are the complexities in fighting corruption? And you'll see that there is this culture of unaccountability because in the past we haven't dealt with people who have been either economically or morally corrupt. Then what happens now? What is the lingering effects of of this? Um, It's around people saying corruption is not just the only problem as, as major as it is. What about other forms of, you know, looking at economic relationships and making workplaces uh, more equal, all of this is thrown into the mix. And the film is an attempt to explore some of the difficulties in dealing with this problem that, yes, you're absolutely right to point out. It's a huge problem. It's in your face. Uh, and in a country where poor people bear the brunt of corruption, uh, it should be dealt with decisively. But it, this, this film shows you or try, attempts to show you why it's not as straightforward um, as it should be. Yeah, it must be an extra keen feeling, though, an uh, an awful thing, where the people that are supposed to be on your side aren't. They're stealing from you. Uh, I think this is a problem, you know, around the the public, public purse. So we entrust our leaders all around the world to um, use money wisely and for our, our benefit. And of course, when it doesn't happen, um, you know, we should, be, we should demand that it does. And we should do our best to make sure that there's some a, a redress for that. And I think Tuli Madonsela, interestingly, if you see in the film, she um, was part, along with the opposition parties, of a very significant case in South Africa which was to make the, to go to the highest court of the land, the constitutional court, and make sure that when the public protector says that somebody has, um, you know, done a corrupt act or taken money illegally, they should pay it back if she has asked them to. They cannot decide that 
she was wrong and they should not pay the money back unless they go to court to show that her decision-making was wrong. And that's actually a very, I mean, it's, uh, if you look at ombuds around the world, uh, very few ombuds actually have the power, are given teeth in their legal frameworks to demand that action be taken, demand that remedy uh, happen rather than just make a recommendation. So she has fought for this institution to have real teeth, and it's interestingly enough, uh, it's probably one, uh, three institutions in the world that have teeth like that to claim money back. Um, yeah, an unelected body that has the power to get money back, to take proper uh, uh, redress, mm. steps for redress. And I think it's also a lot about the person at the helm yeah. of an institution. I mean, as you correctly pointed out, she shows sort of an unwavering commitment to, you know, what she sees as the truth, what she sees as the, is in the interest of most South Africans and ordinary South Africans. You know, Tuli Modansela herself was a member of the ANC. She herself went to Swaziland, uh, was part of the ANC's underground, continued to be a member of the ANC, um, you know, when she she joined, uh, she left the ANC because of the professional reasons, because you know of becoming the public protector, needing to be seen as as, as neutral. But she comes from a tradition where she would put her fidelity to the constitution over any loyalty that's demanded to the political party. Um, and I think that is a very important characteristic because it's once you're in the system of governance, it's sometimes difficult to speak out against your colleagues. And she did so at a time when it was very unpopular to do so. She's quite special. Man, she's brave. She thinks straight. And there's no nonsense in her language as well. I was really quite moved by that scene in your documentary I don't understand the local politics, but someone was uh, actually, uh, they were called a king, and mm-hmm. she, she goes to this meeting and just plainly announces, here's the money that you got, this is all that's left, this bloke stole it. Thank you. Thank you so much to the community for being with us this morning. We also would like to thank His Majesty Ndade Hoshi Mukhale for his presence among us. You asked us to find out how much money was in the dear account for Babo, what had the money been spent on, and who were the individuals who were signing for the money to be spent. The amount that got into the account was 618 million what is left in your bank account is 495,655 the biggest amount of money went to the palace we found that a lot of money was also paid to consultants Basically, all of the money that you earned has been spent. Uh, you want to cheer? Yes, she. I think what her, the characteristics that you need for a public protector. I mean, you find them in Chile Modern Sala. 
Um, that interestingly is what made her a challenge as a, as a film as a filmmaker. It was a challenge for me um, because you know your ideal film character is somebody who is spontaneous and breaks into sort of emotion. And for the job for Chidi Madasela and for that job that she does, um, she is very even keeled, very loyally speaks in terms of sort of law and governance does not lose her cool. Um, so honestly, for me, that was a bit of a challenge in making the film mm-hmm. because she is somewhat a, a, of an enigma. So uh, I stepped back and tried to watch her through the camera, and, and it led to some sort of interesting observations on my part because she is actually very uh, composed. She does listen to both sides, but she is is very you know straight up about what is right and what is wrong and she also tries to reach consensus she tries to i mean that the, the title of the documentary is whispering truths of power and she's very clear that her role isn't just to order people around it is very much also a behind the scenes uh, role of trying to get people to agree about what is ethical and what is not ethical before calling them out publicly. But when she does need to call people out publicly, she does. And you'll see in that particular case of the Bapong King, where there's huge allegations you know, of, of, of corruption that affect the whole community, there are a whole lot of role players involved. There's the mining company, the outsider, the mining company. There's the provincial government who has not overseen money. There's the uh, contractors, there's the king, um, and you know, and that scene is also an attempt just to to sort of look at the cost of corruption. You see the king, he his in his face, it shows remorse. You, you'll see that there's a whole lot of anger and disunity in that community, and it really is a scene to show how difficult and how potentially damaging corruption can be to an entire community. It's a dangerous job, I imagine. It's a little like trying to take on the mafia. There is a lot at stake for those that are being accused and being shamed and exposed as being corrupt. Uh, It would only take a suggestion as... I think it was Henry III or the second, was it? Henry II and Thomas Beckett? Will somebody rid me of this annoying person? I feel the tension in the movie as well. How dangerous. I mean, she must appreciate that this is a dangerous job she's undertaken. Very much so. Um, it's, it's, it's exposing corruption, you know, anywhere. It's, it's, it's at, at the very least, it's an embarrassment for a political party. You rather it not happen than the cases where you don't agree with you an elected government, you're an elected office, and you think this is a one-person show, you just don't agree with them. Or you feel that a political, another political party is using the office to extract advantage, to, to paint you out as being corrupt, and they're doing it. So it's, it's a very difficult environment to work, to work in, because even though Tuli Marancela, the public protector, is neutral, is constitutionally independent, must do its job without fear or favor, which she does, you'll see that the decisions play out in the political space. So this already makes it a very sensitive arena to work in. 
So throughout her time in office, I mean, especially around the Inkandla and um, the state capture case, Chidi Madansela did receive death threats. I mean, she was clear this never came from the president's quarters, and, you know, it's unclear who it came from, but there were serious, uh, there, were, there were dead cats left out of her house, there were break-ins into her, her home, and it played a personal, uh, I mean, it had a very sort of big impact on her, as, I, I mean, she would publicly say that she, you know, she dealt with it very philosophically, that she would not be scared, she would not be coward, um, but I think it definitely took its toll. Mm. Uh, Tilly Marinsella is somebody who wakes up early in the morning, who sleeps very little, um, wakes up at four in the morning, does her meditation, goes for a long uh, jog in her neighborhood, um, you know, to, to, to help with her, you know, to help with her mindset uh, at a time when there are death threats out where a gang boss is being paid to, you know, get rid of you. You can't, you can't go out. You can't do your jogging. Um, so, I mean, I think it's really both the long drawn out in Kandla matter and the long drawn and the state capture case, which uh, took place in her last year and uh, last year in office, uh, did definitely, um, you know, have a big impact on her and you know on her safe and her potential safety and just on her ability to do a job. You see, even in her last week in office, if you see, uh, if if you watch the documentary, you'll see that, you know, one would hope. Your last week in office is sort of a serene week where you're saying goodbye to your colleagues, uh, winding up your cases. But her last week was anything but tranquil. It was unclear whether her final report around state capture allegations involving the president and a private family would even see the day, uh, day of light. And she, um, on her very last day in office, she had to go to court to fight off interdicts uh, to prevent the report from being released. Well, you've had yourself one quietly charismatic. She's, I think she's very charismatic. Charismatic as all hell. Um, you know, it was an interesting observation that, you know, maybe you thought you'd, you wanted someone more emotional. But it really is the stunning thing uh, about this person. And I highly recommend the documentary. It's Whispering Truth to Power. It's on the Documentary Edge Festival, Saturday the 26th of May, Sunday the 27th of May. Uh, we'll take a short break. And if you're comfortable, I'd just like to talk a little bit more, especially about the Zuma case. He ain't there anymore, if that's okay with you, Shabila. Yes, sure. Shamila Sadat, the director. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz. Shamila Sedat, the director of Whispering Truth to Power. It has this brooding tension. The subject is a stunning woman. You've got to say she's brave. Uh, and that is the public protector in South Africa exposing corruption. This has gone to the highest level and it reminded me very, very much of Watergate where she said, no, this is not a recommendation, this is what you've got to do. And it was like the Constitution stood up in the face of the President. Did you get parallels with Watergate? Sure. That's an interesting question. I probably shouldn't make um, direct comparisons, given that it's sort of different circumstances, different country, but what I can speak about is what really stood out for with the Encarnla case was that it is something that could have gone away. 
um, you know, she uh, found that there was illegal spending, unlawful spending at a massive scale around the president's private homestead. Uh, she hoped if she pointed that out, that something would be done. Instead, it turned into a gigantic battle that split the country's political elite over a number of years. I mean, if you look at Watergate and what it symbolized, for what Nkandla symbolized for many South Africans was that the president, the person at the top, did not seem to have the political will to address corruption or um, unlawful spending when told to do so by a constitutional body in the country who he should respect. Yeah. Uh, likewise, Parliament is also under a duty to support the public protector. That is one of its constitutional roles, to uphold democracy by specifically supporting this institution and fail to do so. So for many South Africans, it came to symbolize you know, a, measure, a great measure of impunity around those at the top level. Um, and I think, yeah, um, I think that is, 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 what, is, is what hurt many people or struck many people around in Kandla. Here's a little audio from Whispering Truth to Power, the judgment on Jacob Zuma. And welcome back to the big debate. Now, are we serious about tackling corruption in South Africa? In the past decade, white-collar criminals and corrupt politicians have stolen as much as 300 billion rand from taxpayers, a sum of money that could have built a new house for every homeless person, along with 1,000 state-of-the-art high schools. A society that has no basic essential trust in its own government cannot succeed. When should you pay back the money and how much? Nkandla is now a permanent stain on the presidency and the ruling party. The president is lying. That's all you can do. and mothers of our constitution conceived of a way to give even to the poor and marginalized a voice and teeth that could bite corruption and abuse of state power and resources excruciatingly and that is the public protector just quickly speak to the public protectors who's joining us. Public protector, let's just first start with them looking at the number of parties that are involved in this case. That's all overwhelm you to see how many parties have come out to your defense, your office defense. She is the embodiment of a biblical David who fights the most powerful and very well-resourced Goliath that impropriety and corruption by government officials are. The remedial action that was taken against the president has a binding effect. The president must personally pay the amount determined by the national treasury and I hand down this judgment. I suppose 
you know, with uh, having such an impact and being so steadfast, solid and straight thinking and unwavering, Tuli Marinsaila, the public protector, it will be a long time before people forget, even when she's out of, out of her job. I wonder how she would uh, feel running into Jacob Zuma. <laughs> Uh, interesting, very interesting question because she, um, um, I think that it would be very awkward that, you know, it, it may be collegial at this point. But I think you, you're correct to point out that what she did do, what she really did do for South Africans is to imprint this idea that we can really make, a, a, you know, a, a difference when it comes to extracting accountability from public officials. So even though she's out of office, she represents, um, you know, uh, a very strong case of w w what South Africans can do, that they can hold people in the highest uh, office to account. Um, and it, it will, it's going to be very difficult for people to, um, you know, not say to South Africans, uh, that we can get away with unlawful spending or corruption when you know that there is a body, there are public servants who are also on your side. And I think that's that's the charm or the, the legacy of 2D Modern Seller, that we as South Africans are much more tuned to what standards we should require of our public officials. And more than that, that, if, that we can actually take steps. Um, the court has pronounced itself uh, and said that the public protector does uh, need to be obeyed. Just to also talk a little bit about Tudy Bodhidharma's personality. Um, I talked a little bit about her character, uh, my observations about her film character, and I was concerned about her lack of spontaneity for viewers. But interestingly enough, the response has been very much uh, along the lines of what you said. Um, people actually are drawn to this sort of super lawyer, yeah. um, tough bureaucrat. But also what I did do in the film, and if, if your viewers get to see it, is introduce her daughter. And her daughter is very much um, a different kettle of fish. Her daughter is yeah. extremely passionate, emotional, and you'll see the two of them uh, with generally sharing the same ideals very close but also having very different ways of doing things, both sort of emotionally and also just about how they're going about with their social activism. So I'll leave it back for your viewers, hoping that they will come to see the film, because even though it is a film set in South Africa, I think it has a lot of universal themes around mother-daughter stories, yeah. intergenerational conflicts, redress. It's almost a classical divide, isn't it? The, the, the mother and the daughter. The daughter, she's young, she's energised, she's angry, she's at university. The mother's cool and even said, well, I used to be a Marxist. I was a Marxist when I was young. I love women's politics insofar as the fact that it all comes from a deep-seated love for social justice. For me, as long as she doesn't advocate violence, as long as she doesn't harm people, as long as she doesn't advocate hatred for white people or for any other group for that matter, that's okay with me. <laughs> I think we all know that too well. Yeah. Uh, the parents' generation sort of knowing better and being through the mill 
but also Tini Marancella is somebody who believed in the brightness and very much in the hope of the young generation and their youthful aspirations and that it is really their time to steer us through to the next chapter. She, she takes the younger generation very seriously. She's been very supportive of them, both in the Feast Must Fall movement. But what I think is interesting, uh, you know, in t- uh, is that the two of them sort of stand for, as you say, you know, do- two different sides. One, uh, 2D is sort of uh, versed in the idea of dialogue and diplomacy and tolerance and speaking through things and um Wendy is represents part of a, gen, a younger generation who feel that things aren't changing fast enough how patient should we be is there another way of doing things that is going to lead to uh, clearer more immediate results and i think it's interesting from a also from a documentary um, viewpoint to throw these together and then just, you know, there is no answer just to let that linger on, 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 on people, on the viewer. I get no feeling whatsoever of racial resentment from Tuli Madun Sailor. Seems to be very inclusive. So I need to ask, what are the attitudes today in South Africa with the relatively recent announcement from the ANC of white farm confiscation is what it's been talked about, a la Robert Mugabe. That's what a lot of people are thinking. I, you know, to, to be honest, I wouldn't jump to any conclusions. It's, I mean, it's far too early for that. Mm. The country is, is engaged in a sort of a much-needed debate around, you know, what the country should look like at this point. A lot of emphasis is, 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 is placed on the land and the land question. And it, it is, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's an aspect of it, but I think it, it's a very emotive issue, land. Mm. And the, the, deeper, the deeper issue that people want to talk about is really around how to make the, you know, the economy fairer and more inclusive across board. And, of course, land is something that riles people up. But as you said, there is a parliamentary process and a debate, and the ANC has showed their uh, intention to relook at the land clause uh, in the Constitution and, uh, and look at compensation, uh, expropriation without compensation. But it is going to be a process that goes through Parliament. There will be a great deal of debate back and forth. You know, it is likely that it will be done under very specific circumstances. Uh, I mean, that the ANC, Sora uh, Maposa, has uh, already stated that, you know, it, 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 it will not interfere with uh, the economy or take away from productivity. So I think that we should wait and steer the course and see what happens out of the process. But my, my honest feeling is that it is a conversation that we need to have as a country. And if we carry on uh, along the path that we have, there is going to be anger and resentment and difficulty and heightened racial tension and so on. We should not shy away from talking about this. And we still we have a very sort of robust um, civil society sector, very independent media, a strong judiciary. You know, there's vested interests on all sides. And I think we just have to continue with the conversation and um, yeah, see what happens.
Well, on the face of it, uh, she's got a fan in me. I think uh, she's got an outstanding attitude, and you've got an amazing subject for a documentary. I think her attitude is an admirable one, and, you know, I just pray that <laughs> she's not found out to be corrupt as well. <laughs> I somehow don't think so. No, no. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us uh, so much of your time and uh, I suppose a bit of a perspective on things that are happening in South Africa. She's world famous in South Africa and I think may become world famous full stop uh, after this documentary. Highly recommend it. Whispering truth to power. She's a piece of work. Uh, Tuli Maron Sailor. And we've been speaking with the director, Shamila Sidat. Thank you so much. Are you coming to New Zealand? I would love to come, but unfortunately not. I would love to uh, see I mean, all the films at the Dark Edge Festival. And it's such a great platform for diverse stories. But unfortunately, I'm not able to come. So um, hopefully another time for another edition. Thank you for your documentary. A pleasure and great speaking to you. Thanks for all the questions and the interest. Good one. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, all the best. My sense is that... Black kids, particularly those at school, are angry. White kids are angry. Everyone feels that they are victims of racism. Um, if you look at my daughter being beaten up at UP, mm. you can tell that the, the toxicity is coming from both sides. I want to look at how do we fight the system of remaining racism without necessarily having assumptions about each other. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. For details, visit dockedge.nz. OK, Troops, as promised, double pass to go along to the Documentary Edge Festival. Pretty much any movie you'd like to see at all for the Auckland season, just give us a bell. 0800 844 747. Two double passes. 0800 844 747. New Sport and Weather next.